Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Went all the way across the world for this one to talk to my good friend, Wally. Well, I, we did it by internet, so I didn't physically go across the world, but uh, Wally is an instructor and comp pilot down in Oz in Bright. He's been instructing down there, kind of made it his thing back in 2010, learned how to fly in 2004, which you'll hear about in the show. But he and I know each other from a lot of comps over all the years and he's a very accomplished comp pilot and a lot of fun and we dug into all kinds of topics on this one comp tactics and strategies and instructing and learning and being a beginner and mindset and much stuff i think you're really going to enjoy it something i have not done in a while uh, is the top of the show tip and i wanted to do it this time because there was an incident and Chelan, the very last day of nationals, you know, they had the Maddie Senior and his incredible crew out there. They did the ozone, you know, C class or below comp the week before nationals. And Chelan can be pretty feisty and they didn't have a single incident. So that was awesome. No reserve tosses, no accidents. And then nationals, same thing until the very last day. And I just wanted to talk about um, what went on there and this is totally i didn't see any of this this is just from what i heard so this isn't picking on the pilot at all it's just um just something to kind of keep in mind i think it makes for a good tip because from what i understand uh the pilot launched and had a very small cravat about 20 percent of the wing and i actually heard this on the radio as we were kind of getting ready for the start up above launch and somebody had said, just fly the glider, fly the glider, you know, in other words, fly it straight. And just a reminder that on most gliders these days, you can fly straight on with a lot of the wing gone just by, you know, careful weight shift and maybe a little bit of opposite brake. And, you know, this is all things you learn in SIV, which is really important, but, you know, maybe it was the stress of uh, being a comp or, whatever, maybe it wasn't in very good headspace, but um, the pilot flew away from the hill and then totally overreacted and leaned really hard apparently and a lot of brake on the flying side and spun it back into the hill the opposite way. So um, just remember, these are things that we're told when we're first learning, but um, you know, you gotta get away from the hill before you ever do anything and you can fly a very partially open glider straight without a lot of stress and without a lot of work. And, you know, again, these are things that are better learned in SIV, but in the heat of the moment, you know, you got to remember, get away from the hill and then solve the problem. And um, from what I understand, this problem was solved totally incorrectly. He just totally overdid it and massively overreacted. And, you know, the result wasn't great. He's going to have Sounds like pretty full recovery, but uh, yeah, you don't want to do that to yourself. I mean, we always, you know, there's a lot of accidents in the sport, but we hate seeing the ones that are so easily preventable. So keep that in mind. Fly the glider, get away from the hill before you do anything. Let's get into this show with Wally. I can't say his last name. I actually asked it in the in the <laughs> in the first bit of the show, so I'll let him answer that one. But please enjoy this really fun talk with a good buddy of mine, Wally. Cheers. Wally, this is fun. Uh, I haven't seen you in a while, man. We've all been in uh, COVID lockdown for way too long. I think the last time I saw you was at the World Cup down there, or maybe it was at the Nordic. I can't remember which one went more recent, but Nordic Open was it? I want to say, yeah, yeah in uh, yeah. video that Macedonia, Macedonia. Yeah, that was cool. I like. I, I want to get back there. It was fun. Yeah, oh, I definitely want to go back. Yeah, there. <laughs> that was a fun place to race. Yeah. One day. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of re reminded me of Roldanillo. You know, you got the the mountains on each side and the valley, and you got to get from one to the, one side to the other. And I really enjoyed it there. Good to. Uh, I think in any race, good to have that option and not just stay on this ridge and burn up and down this ridge like a mad person. But you know, okay, you can go by the ridge, you can go by the flats, you can yeah, you can pick and choose. I like that too. It's always good to have a bit of choice in a task. Yeah, I like that too. It was, you know, the gaggles would split up and you'd be like, oh, are they doing better than us? What's happening over there? That was, yeah, that was, that was really, that was really quite fun. To pick them out in the distance. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, my first question is an easy one. How do you say your last name? Achi Diakono. Holy smokes. Where, where yeah. are you guys from? 
What's where's the what's the origin, origination um, of that? Dad's dad's Italian. Um, emigrated here in the early '60s with a lot of other people. Um, yeah, met met an Australian lady, and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a Sicilian name too. So right, right. Yeah, good, yeah. excellent. It's good to see you, man. You got a hat on. This is reverse. Usually, it's cold here and warm there, but I, I guess you guys are coming out of winter. We are, we are it's slowly starting to warm up, but it's um, it's nice to see the sun again. It's always the case at the end of winter. Just oh, <laughs> go outside and sit in the sun and get warm. Yeah, not today. It's raining and it's wet and it's miserable. Do so. you do you guys fly all winter there, or is it as you just write that off? Um, we do the. We tend to get low pressures and tend to dominate. So. In a fortnight, you'll only get two or three flyable days, but uh, they're special in that you're flying with snow on the mountains out the back. Uh, they're bitterly cold, as you'd expect. Um, it's more more of a social affair where you arrive at launch at 10 and you swan around in the sunshine for a few hours and take off for a half-hour thermic flight and then the day's done and you go home at three. So it's more social than anything else, but mm. it's still good to do. Yeah, feather, feather top. Yeah. There's, some, there's some good skiing in your parts too. I think I mean, not many people yeah. know that. But, and is your – what do you consider yourself, a mountain pilot or a flatlands pilot? Do you get out to Daniloquin and, you know, send it with the flies um, or do you, uh, you you tend to stay in the mountains? Tend to stay in the mountains. Yeah. I like mountains. Yeah. Always have. Always been a mountains guy. Um our mountains are not quite as mountainous as the rest of the world's mountains, but they're still our mountains. Mm. They're very fond of them. Um, uh, once in a blue moon, I'll go out and have a bash in the flats. Um, again, it's usually more of a social thing. I'll go out with a group of buddies and we'll do a five or six day safari around the place. Mm. And yeah, but no, most of the time it's in the flats and, and I live so close to the, the main flying site around here. It's literally a kilometre away. So I live at the base, literally live 300 metres from the landing paddock. So oh, wicked. It's, when, it's, when it's that close, it's hard to it's hard to justify a four-hour drive. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And we're <laughs> going to talk about your school and instructing and comps and stuff. We were just chatting where we had some problems with the audio there. They, uh, last time, I thought the last time I saw you was the World Cup, but you're right. It was at the Nordic Open, wasn't it, out in Macedonia? Yeah. My, um, my buddy Alex and I went out for literally four weeks of back-to-back racing and yeah that's where you rocked up for the nordics which is our last week and we'd done three weeks before that and yeah it was pretty intense that was uh it was good fun though but yeah good place macedonia yeah that was a cool. very fun place in my heart incredibly cheap super uh, i really liked mm. the flying it, it was it, it was quite similar to, to world of neo more on it was it was more spicy in a, in a good way mm. um but it, you know it had the had the flats and it had the mountains that kind of ringed it on both sides and you could uh, the, the gaggle would often split. You didn't really know it was. Are we or did we make the right move or did they make the right move? It was cool. I yeah, liked that they, a lot. Yeah. It was cool. And yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of seeing uh, tasks with with decisions. I'm a huge fan of that. I feel I feel like uh, a lot of the time with good task setting, you know, there's decisions to be made and there's things to think about. With poor task setting, it's just follow the leader and 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 then it, it comes not a decision on cross country flying and and racing it's more just how fast can you push the bar and mm. how good are you in the super gaggle of 100 people and it is it is racing but it's just i, I like to have to think about it that's that's the fun part for sure what is your history of flying give it give us the the one page resume of your how did, how'd you get in all this and how did you become an instructor and yeah is this is this how you're making your living these days yeah, so so I started to fly in two thousand and four. Okay. Um, my uncle had learned to fly a few years before I did, and yeah, got into the sport through him. And he just made an offhanded comment one day of like, "You've got a bit of time, and you've got an uncle that doesn't use his glider very much. Maybe you should get your license." So I did. Um, didn't really think much of it at the time, and and. You know, it was, it was, excuse the cliche, but it was a decision that changed my life, not that I knew it then. Mm. Um, flew for a few years intermittently and and probably a little dangerously to start with in terms of without um, much supervision or on sites that I shouldn't have been flying with. Were you also, um, were you in then, Bright back then? <clears throat> no, no. So I grew up in southern Queensland, mm. 2,000 kilometres from here, yeah. and then I moved to Victoria 
more six months after I learned and found Bright about 12 months, 18 months later. Okay. And my first trip to Bright was like, whoa, yeah, this place is special. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, been coming back ever since. And then oh, 10, 12 years ago, moved here. It's, it's now, it's not just my life, it's my livelihood as well. So, mm. yeah. And, Do love and it. did you move there to fly and then you created the school or what, did you move there with the intention of, okay, well, I'm going to make this my life? No. So I moved, I moved here to fly. Um, I'd, I'd been coming back for summers and, and flying my little tail off all summer long while I was a student. And then um, I arrived here to, to live here and a, a, a friend of mine, another instructor, he gave me a job as a, as a tandem bunny. So I did that for a year and then I decided, actually, I think I think I want to teach people this. And, and I've come from a, a, a background of education, outdoor education, so uh, understanding and managing risk was the outdoor part and then pedagogy and pedagogy and teaching kids and adults. And, yeah, so it, it was a very natural progression to, to go into instruction um, and teaching. And, yeah, that was... 2010, I got my, you know, started my apprenticeship uh, with Alpine paragliding, and yeah, slowly worked worked through the in, the instructor qualifications, and yeah, and it was it was I knew very early on once I started instructing, like yeah, this is this is a pretty fun, like yeah, I'm not I'm not making myself rich, but it's a good lifestyle, and I'm outside doing something I love, so. Mm. Does you know you often hear that you know the best way to kill your passion for something is to make it your business? Doesn't sound like it's done that to you at all. Do you do you do you find that it frays your your love of just XC and just sending and being a pilot? Um, yes and no, and, and this is something that I've had to grapple with over the last, especially for five years. Um, less so in the last one or two, but uh, there was two or three years in there where yes, I think it, it did didn't kill the passion but it, it made me it made me question it mm. uh, well and truly and and i had to come up with a few strategies to ensure that that passion was you know reignited and and i feel now pretty comfortable about it you know i know i'm about to come into the season and i know there's a lot of work ahead but i'm also really excited about all the other things you know i don't i don't get that excited about going to work but i do enjoy it so <laughs> um yeah, there's been there's been a lot of little little lessons on the way in order to to maintain that enthusiasm because it's you know that's to me that was actually really sad. It was about three years ago. I was like, oh, I, I feel like I'm I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to. And, and as I said, I've come out of that now. But um, yeah, that was it was, a, it was a sad moment for me. Like, oh, maybe I've overdone it. Mm. And I, I've seen a lot of instructors who get to that point where. They just don't. They don't fly themselves. They just don't go out on a solo glider. They'll go and fly a tandem because there's money involved, and they'll be on the hill. But then they just do not fly a glider for themselves ever. And it's that I, I did. I saw that and thought, oh, I'm never going to. You know, I need to put things in motion to make sure I keep keep this enthusiasm up. And yeah. And when did you get into comps? Uh, I did my first comp in 2011. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was rocked up and thought, I reckon I know what's going on here. I'm pretty good. I'll do well. And I was humbled, <laughs> so humbled, <laughs> as we all are in our first yeah, combat. Yeah. <laughs> as we are in our 20th comp sometimes. I mean, my yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, it was interesting watching the, the Super Final unfold a couple of weeks ago. I looked at a couple of big names that are usually always at the top of the list and and then looked at some of their social media posts afterwards, and I think exactly that. You do comps long enough, you don't you don't beat yourself up about it. Sometimes you're on game and your head's in the right place and everything's right and all the ducks line up, and sometimes you're just not. You know, it's 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 maybe has nothing to do with your gear or how you're flying for the week. It might just be your head. There's you know, yeah. it's ten thousand elements to a comp, and it's so easy to get something wrong and. I think at the end of the comp, as long as you don't beat yourself up that you know you've destroyed everything and it's the end of the world, you just go, well, there'll be one next year or next week. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, just move on with it. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I, in some ways, I kind of cursed myself with comps because I had some really early luck. It was complete luck. I thought, saying, "Oh gosh, I must be really good at this," but I had a couple of comps that went really well right off the bat, and and then I realized, you know, 
no matter what, you got to put in the time and you got to put in the hours mm. doing it and all the comps and God, I've blown so many comps and it's just, you know, yeah. And I feel like now the, my approach to it's much healthy because I, I don't care. I realize, and you see it with, like you said, you see with the guys that are so good and then, you know, everybody blows it and that's just part of the mm. deal. And the, and the nature of a comp too is that it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, seven out of seven tasks that you blow. You only need to blow one or two, and all of a sudden you drop a long way down the rankings. Eh? Yeah, exactly. It's not not forgiving. FTV mm. helps it helped that a lot, but even then, it's still mm. you know yeah, it's it's a funny game. It's a really fun. I love it's it. a funny game. I do love it. But, it, but it's, it's a beautiful one, though, isn't it? It it's really a is. Beautiful game, I, <laughs> yeah. and I like the yeah. uh, you know I'm going to Turkey air next week for the for the World Cup and. You know, since the X-Ops, I haven't really been that motivated to fly. And I like it because it's just there for you. You got the rides. You got the horse. You know, you're, you're there to fly. It's just they make it all so easy. Mm. So you don't have to decide yeah. much. You don't have to look at the weather. <laughs> you, just, you just go fly. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that. And, uh, you know, I mentioned before that I live very close to a flying site. And that's, that's, that's convenient, yes, but... When you live this close to a flying site and you have your local competition here, I always do worse mm. than, than all the other comps. It's never the local, local, it's never the local boy that wins. No, you just you're distracted. You've got you know there's there's other things going on. You're mm. tied up with the comp in some way, and it's when you go, you know, you leave home, you go somewhere different. As you say, that's your focus. You're there to fly. You you, you know you remove everything else from your mind, and that's that's what you do. I had, a, got a I had a really cool inbound cat here, mate. Yeah. Oh, cool. Hello, kitty. Sorry. <laughs> um, I had a really cool flight about a week, a little over a week ago with two of my mentors, legends, Nate Scales and Matt Beachner, we call him Farmer. And, and uh, you know, they've been in the game since forever. And, you know, we, we had this beautiful, big XC flight. It was seven hours and it was really cool and it was pretty deep. And we landed and I said, you know what, guys? It's so interesting that, you know, we, we ended up taking quite a deep line at the end of the day that worked. It was good. And we had clouds that helped us out. And, but in the beginning of the day, we took this line that we always take. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, if we'd been in a comp and a bunch of Europeans, a bunch of people came out here, Kriegel comes out here, he would have crushed us today. And you know why? Because we did what we always do because we know it works, but we don't, we're, we weren't flying the terrain. You weren't flying, you know, because to fly the terrain, you got to go way deeper, really leaving the roads here. But it was, it's what you would do if you just came here. If you came here and you took mm-hmm. off, you would show us how to fly this place. You know what I mean? Because it's this is our yeah. place. We know how to do it, but we don't really know how to do it because, you know, it's I, – and I think that happens a lot in comps. You go to Macedonia yeah. and you fresh. don't know anything and, the, and somebody fresh just crushes it because they, they look yeah, at it with open eyes. And- yeah. And they don't, yeah, they're not, they're not predetermined. You know, there's no, as you say, a predetermined route of, oh, we go here because that's what we do. There's, I've seen that in the bright open over the years mm. where a visiting pilot comes and does something and just like, well, that makes total sense. Why, why haven't we been doing that for years? But that's just, that's just how they fly it. And, and, you know, yeah. we, the locals that think, oh, we know how to fly this area. There's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. deeper yeah, psychology going on there. It does happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're you're in Oz. It's a long way from other places to go to comps. Is is that typically how you do it? Like what you and Alex did, you'll kind of just go, okay, we'll t- it's going to take a month and bang out a few because otherwise it's got to get really expensive to. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, that that is about the only way to do it. Um, unfortunately, we we I say we um, Australian people are literally in. You cannot leave the country. Um, yeah. It's very hard to leave the country at the moment. I know Nick Daines did get out for the X-Alps, but you know, there's all the problems with getting home. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, this year aside and recent years aside, um, that's typically what people do. We go out for, uh, especially you go to Europe and you spend two months floating around and you put as many comps as you can in that time because to go – you know, just to, to, to jump over the border to do a quick comp is just not financially viable. Mm. It's too far and, yeah, you, you do need to put a few comps in your calendar to go. And then, you know, that, that gets tricky too, mm. especially if you're travelling with families and loved ones. Yeah. What have you learned uh, in all your comp experience that, that you could share in terms of results, 
getting there, getting better, you know, what you've learned over the years that adds up to just having more fun. Having more fun. Yep. Cause it's all well and good, isn't yeah, it? To say, um, you know what? Results don't matter. I know, but we all do have egos. It is more fun to do well. For sure. And uh, you know, but I, like I said, like we were talking about, you know, I, I don't kick my helmet anymore. You know, when I bomb out, it's like, ah, whatever, whatever, big deal. It's just a call. Um, I used to, but, uh, you know, now I really, I can't honestly say I pretty much don't care, but pretty much not totally. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I'd be the same if I, if I did poorly in a comp, I'd be disappointed. Mm. But yeah. I don't think, I don't think I'd beat myself too much about it. Um, what, what has helped in that regard? I think t- number one is sheer quantity. Mm-hmm when you've only done one or two then yes you do care very much when you do them for a long time and you know there will be another comp then that's probably that's probably a big part of it you know that there'll be another one so you leave this one behind and you go again uh the other thing for me was two things one not necessarily looking at a result for my satisfaction uh not my satisfaction but my my confirmation that i've done all right um I remember, I remember the, there was a point where I was right on the verge of actually starting to figure some things out with comps, and, and I say that because I know I still haven't figured things out. Mm-hmm. Yes, I feel like sometimes I have, and and then in five, ten comps' time, I'll realise, geez, I didn't know much back then. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, I, was a, I was at a comp where I was just on the verge of figuring things out, and I'd been lent a glider to fly, which was an ANB, and I was flying an ANC at the time, so I was like, oh, yeah, why not, whatever, I'll go flying. And... Didn't do particularly well in the results, but I remember reflecting on that experience and seeing actually I was doing quite well up until this mistake on that day. And then, you know, you looked at the next day and went, I was leading the group for all of that and then stuffed up here. And then I guess I took the the positives out of it, you know, mm. definitely found the negatives and went, this is where I stuffed up and this is why I stuffed up. This is the decision I made for sure. But looked at all the positives and went, I was doing a lot of good things here and I guess I just told myself, be patient. You're doing a lot of good things. Mm. If you can get rid of a couple of bad things, then all of a sudden, you know, you'll, you'll have a little bit more success with that. Mm. The other thing that the other lesson that was, was very big in my mind with comps was when I think I'm, I've stuffed up and I've got left behind, I've dropped a gaggle or two. I don't know when it was, but that, that understanding, that knowledge of, it's actually pretty easy to catch up. Mm. Um, so I remember originally it was like, oh, I've made a mistake and I've got left behind. And the group is so far in front that I'm never going to catch them. And then somewhere in there, I could actually make a couple of good decisions and be like, oh, I'm rolling into goal with everybody else. Yeah. What happened? So that, that realisation that when you think you're a long way behind, you're very often not. It really is only a couple of minutes. And if that next group gets stuck for a couple of minutes and you've caught themselves up, you caught them up and you know, it's, yeah, it was, a, it was just a realization mm. that sometimes you're not as far back as you think you are. Do you have any kind of, you know, headspace you try to get in or any kind of mantras when you're flying or any kind of, um, you know, okay, you, you have a good comp and you go, okay, how do I repeat that? How do I, you know, how do I take that to the next one? Is there anything, any kind of, mm. I don't know, seance you do it yeah. <laughs> you roll the dice um, you... yeah there's a, there's a there's a few things for me that um, work well first first thing is i need to have all my personal affairs in order before i start mm. uh turn the business phone off or i give it to clara my partner and and she deals with it for the duration of the competition um make sure all my you know i don't have any bills to pay or anything like that there's 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 no life worries as i go into the comp um i usually spend a few hours you know an afternoon uh, in the days leading up, just relaxing and focusing on me um, to to get myself calm. Um, and I mentioned this before before we started recording that uh, going from from instruction to competition is is a tricky thing, and that's why I take that time mm. to give myself time just to to get myself in the flying headspace. And then on on task days, I've got a, a very simple mantra that. That I run through my head, and that is start well, no, no original thoughts, and make goal. Mm. And and I know that sounds simple. Start well, like if you're if you're in in the start group, and again, you don't have to be the highest highest person right at the edge. Even if you're in the group, um, 
you've started your day well mm. with everybody. Mm. If you're starting low, behind, all of a sudden you've got to catch up from, from the beginning. Um, the no original thoughts actually came from, from a, there's a group of us that came from Gareth Carter and Kari Ellis, mostly those two. Um, and this was, you know, we're, we're racing as a group. You don't need to, from the first glide of the day, go out and win the day from the first glide, mm. you know, play the game for 80% of the race. And then the last 20% you, you make your move. So no, no original ideas, original ideas, discard them was pretty much that, you know, you've got this great idea, 10% into the task, that you're just going to run down that ridge and smoke everybody. No, no, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Check your thinking there for a second. So, you know, just, just, you know, putting on a handbrake in your mind, not not to fly slow, but just to to recheck your, you know, original ideas of this is going to be amazing, but no, 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 just just think about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then the and then the make gold and that's that's the classic one everyone knows that one but you know sometimes you need to dig deep. So. I think that that one's one that I lost the plot on for a while and and you know you just get in this racing headset and push and push and make a move and remember you make a move and land before ESS your points suck you got to get the goal they do they you, do you don't just got to get the goal you know and you got to make that work and you know you see it. I see this with the consistency thing, you know, the, the really consistent pilots, you know, I mean, Luke just won three tasks in the super finals. So I guess this doesn't always work, but you don't have to win tasks to win. Oh. No, you don't. No, that's, that's actually one of my mantras is come second. Yeah. And, and I, and I mean that like if, if I'm trying to win tasks, which I don't do very often, I'm not, I'm not a task winner. Occasionally I pull one off, but my, my attitude of come second is, if you're trying to win tasks, then maybe, maybe you might be pushing it to take too many risks. Mm. So my mantra of come second, I, I hope I don't come second. I hope I win it yeah. for sure. But my mantra of come second is take enough of a risk to uh, to be consistent. Well, no, I'll rephrase that. Take enough of a, a risk to do well, but don't be too conservative that you're going to come 15th every day. So yeah, come second, come second, come second. That's what I aim for. Do yeah. you? And usually, usually the person that comes first is different. Yes. Usually. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, do, you, do you pay attention to who's who? Do you, do you let who you're with in the gaggle influence you over maybe somebody else or is everyone just, they're all just gliders giving you information? Um, no, I do take a very keen notice on who's who. Mm. And I've actually got a pretty good memory on remembering who's who as well. Part of that is not, I guess, towards the end of a competition, then who's who in terms of where I need to place for the day, that's important. But that to me is the last task of a competition. Mm. You know, I need to be in front of this person. Therefore, I'll take a bit more risk, for example. The the who's who for most of the flying is more of a, what's this person like? Uh, is this is this someone that I want to go out with the, just the two of us? Is this person going to help me? Is this person someone that is just a bit too impetuous and and goes too hard and very often puts himself on the ground? Is this someone that I can utilise their their psychology, their the way they race, the way they think against them? You know, if I push a little harder now. I'm going to watch this person push themselves very, very hard to be in front of me, and now they're going to be down there in front of me helping me out. So mm. I use them a little bit that way, and and I'm still learning that, but um, I do take notice of who's who. Mm. Um, yes and no. If I don't know them, just a glider in the sky. Yeah. But, yeah, if I do know them and I know, especially know their personality, then, yes, I'll most certainly take notice of who that person is so I can you know, utilise their, their mindset for my advantage. Mm. Sounds funny. Mm. What, what's the best tip you've ever gotten from, you know, the Aussie squad? I know you guys have the, the kind of team thing or Kari or Alex or anybody that you've raced with. Can you think of a tip that's really been kind of a, whoa, that helped? The best, I guess, uh, bit of advice that that I got given was from Guy Anderson. Uh, I was having a chat to him, one Brit Hopen, um, two pearls of gem from, uh, from him, 
pearls of wisdom, I should say. Um, the first one was just uh, that that old saying of a memory of a goldfish and letting go of what has just happened. Um, you know, we we all make bad mistakes and bad decisions while we're racing, and it's too easy. And I, I remember this early on for me. It was it was you know you'd make that bad decision, and then the rest of the day. I'd be in this negative headspace where then you'd you'd make a bad decision and then you'd throw a Hail Mary to try and make it up and then you'd throw another Hail Mary and another one and all of a sudden you'd find yourself on the ground. Mm. Um, so here's, here's, you know, and it was more than just that sentence but we had a good chat about it of, you know, just learn to let that go and, and move on. And, and, yeah, easier said than done, you know, especially when our emotions involved with it. But, um, um, yeah, so that's that was a big part of it. Uh, just, just learning to go. Yep, I stuffed up. I acknowledge that. This is the emotion that I'm feeling that is associated with that. Let it go. What's my next job? And um, another person that was helpful in that was uh, Adele Honti. I met her in Macedonia as well, and and her very simple saying of one thing at a time. Mm. And I guess they go hand in hand. So we've stuffed up. We've made a mistake. We figured out what it was. We've let our emotions go on that that particular thing, and then going to with Adele's thinking, what next? What do I need to do now? I need to get high. I need to catch up with the group. That's all I need to worry about. I don't need to worry about the rest of the race. I just do that one thing, and then once I've done that one thing, then I move on to the next one thing. It's mm. a lot easier to compartmentalise than a whole race in one. Mm. Yeah, I I uh, I've said this before on the show, but I, I read a ton of sports psychology books going into this X-Alps, just trying to work on the whole mental game more than in the past. And that you see the same things in these books over and over and over again. And, and one of those is very much, you're going to make mistakes. You got to take the mistake and throw it in the trash. You know, like you said, learn from it and get rid of it. You know, you think about the best athletes in the world in baseball, and basketball, and, you know, they miss all the time. They got hung up on that. They would just go to hell, you know. I mean, if if you're a 300 uh, batting, if you got a 300 batting average, and which means you get a hit three out of ten times, you're world class, you know. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't sound that good though, does it? It doesn't sound that good. No, it doesn't. But yeah, I think yeah, it, we sh- we should all follow more of Adele's advice. She's really good mm. at all that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think that that is is a big one because you know the best mm. the best bomb out. And it's not it's not an easy thing to, to teach oneself either. No, it's not. It really is. Takes a yeah. lifetime. <laughs> Still working on it, we and I guess. Still working on it. <laughs> yes, yeah, and we always will be for sure. Hmm. What's your favorite place to go fly? If you could leave, I know the COVID's been really tough with in uh, in hmm. Oz to go out and do. But if you could go anywhere right now and go go to a comp or just go fly XC, where would you go? Um. Probably the probably the the place that I like racing the most, and 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 partly because I know I'm no good at it there. Um, Slovenia mm. uh, just had a mind like told me in Slovenia. Yeah. Uh, the first the first time I raced there and flew there, I, was, I fell in love with it, and it's just a magical magical valley. So mm. much happens, and so much happens fast there. And I remember I remember the first time I went there, I was doing a serial cup a long time ago, and. I thought the normal thing you did was you fly along and you take a thermal and you glide to the next one. <laughs> didn't didn't realise till much later, like, no, people don't stop. They no, you don't stop. Hammer and, and you don't stop in Slovenia. And, you just punch no, bar and don't, keep don't. going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that just a, just a beautiful playground. Uh, Saint Andre Les Alps is a bit similar in that it's you know it's small and it's compact. Everything's you know we're not you're not trying to go hundreds and hundreds of kilometres or miles. You just you know everything's small and compact. It's it's arena racing, and and those places to me I really enjoy because you can you can explore, you can play, even if you're not racing there. It's just you know, oh today is the day that we're going to fly the back ridge, so we go and fly the back ridge. Yeah, yeah good fun. Hmm. So Slovenia, I think, and I like Slovenian people. Yeah, again, it's so beautiful. The Soka River is just 
man, you, yeah. every time you fly over it, you just go, did I take some drugs to there? What happened? It's so beautiful. <laughs> that, uh, it's a neat country. It's more vivid than it usually is, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. I never, I haven't raced there. I've flown there a bit, but I haven't raced there. I'd love to. I think that'd be really cool. Neat. And the, the Slovenians, uh, so yeah, obviously they, you know, the Slovenians are a very small nation. Mm. They do pretty well on the world stage of paragliding, you know. They're, yes. They're always, their nation's somewhere in the top 10 of that, I'm certain. And, yep, you know, always. I think I think Tolmin's one of the reasons for that. And then and then just down the road, and this is one of the reasons it's such a good place for, for competitions, is Liak and Liak. You know, with their funny little accent, they say, oh, it's a very special place, very special place. And it really is, you know. Yeah. The rest of the Alps is in torrential rain and there's a task happening at Liak. And, and yes. yeah, so uh, to, to go and spend a week somewhere and go racing with a group of buddies, I'd say, yeah, take me there any day. Mm-hmm. You, you've you made this your lifestyle, living your uh, livelihood. Does mm-hmm. free flight, does it make your life better or worse? when it comes to relationship or other, other things, I know, uh, you know, Mark Watts, uh, when I had him on the show, <laughs> he, I said, you know, what would you do differently if you could rewind the clock? And he, I give up fucking paragliding. Yeah. He was, he was very oh, adamant. Really? Yeah. He was adamant that, that that's what he would have done differently. But, uh, if you're, if you're any kind of scale in between those two extremes. Oh, I don't, I don't think I could pitch my life without it. Mm. It's such a big part of my identity. Um, no, 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 I couldn't, couldn't live without it. Sorry, Gav. And, 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 and to be honest, that, that worries me sometimes because, I, you know, I've seen a few incidents and accidents and I've had friends that are, you know, not doing so well because of incident accidents. Um, and it does worry me what would take, what would it take for me to stop this sport? And that, that's a, a worrying thought. It's probably the thing that keeps me safe a lot of the time as well. Mm. A healthy step back from the edge of, unnecessary risk but couldn't couldn't imagine life without it my my wife very often says you know, if i'm getting a bit grumpy it's like radio get your gear get in the car going up the hill you need to go and get your feet off the ground yes dear thank you dear is she a pilot yeah, too? she's right she's dead right um no she used to be a, she used to be a pilot but same had a had an accident oh. yeah it's got got uh, lifelong body issues with with that mm. uh, feet and back and yeah so that's it's close to home it's always there yeah yeah but she she's 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 a lovely woman and she's super understanding and she knows that flying's pretty important to me Mm. and and she supports that and and and, you know sometimes she's a bit saddened that she doesn't fly anymore but it's also there's other things in life there really are so Mm. do you this is an impossible question i hate this question but we're kind of on this theme why you kind of answered a little bit there, but I'm gonna make you think even harder about it. Why do you fly? Could you could you put it in? Can you articulate that? I guess it's changed over the years. Hmm. Um, now, yes, yes, it is a little bit part of my identity. Um, Wally, the guy that flies. A lot of people are like, oh, you're the guy that flies. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not the reason I fly. That's that's sort of probably what everyone else thinks. Right. Um, I think when I was new, it was that uh, unbridled freedom. Like I can go anywhere. Um, now, now I think the thing that I love the most is the learning process and the and the journey. Um, I remember, I remember when I was two hundred hours. I thought, geez, I do this pretty well. And then when I got to five hundred, I went. Holy crap! I knew nothing back then. Right. And then we got to a thousand. I went, "Whoa! I knew nothing back then." So, yes. you know, and and I think I, I'm I'm in love with that that the the ever ever changing nature of it all, mm. um, and and just moving on with that. And and I guess, you know, I don't I don't identify myself as solely an instructor. Yes, I am an instructor, and that is my job. But to to then nurture that and see that in others, that's that's actually pretty nice for me as well. Mm. Um, Let's switch over to instructing. Uh, do you, do you do you follow a particular system? You know, like APPI or that kind of thing, or is it or is Australia? How does it work in Australia? Um, so yeah, in Australia we we operate all our endorsements and training under Sports Aviation Federation of Australia, SAFA. Um, all the qualifications go through them, so we send the paperwork off and they process it. Uh, looking at the requirements, I'd say especially the license, the license. 
course, the license qualification called a PG2. Uh, I would say that is an absolute bare minimum for somebody to get safely into the sport. And not that we say this directly to our clients, but it really is you now have enough knowledge to go out and hopefully not hurt yourself. That's that's what we're after. Um, and, you know, you know that, that first 100 hours, 200 hours, that's just super critical. Mm. You, know, you don't know what you don't know when you're new. And um, so many people either leave the sport really early because they, you know, don't have the support around them and, and don't have a bit of understanding or they scare themselves because they've flown doing something they didn't even know was an issue until the thing came up. But, mm. um, yeah, so everything everything runs under SAFA and, and yeah, the, the way you run a course with a school is subjective to that individual. Um, we do the requirements plus some other things that we think are important and necessary. Uh, yeah, it's, really, and it's really hard to tell what other schools are doing. Um, I've, I've gone and worked with a few different schools and I think that's, as an instructor, that's really important to, to go and work with another school because they'll give you ideas of things that, you know, an, an analogy to explain pitch control, whatever. Um, that can be really important. And also things that you go, hmm, yeah, don't actually like the way they do that. Good to know. So, you know, any any instructor should be critically reflective enough to look at their own their own processes and adapt and change them based on what other people are doing and, and the best practice at the time. You know, we still we still there's still a lot of instructors that started teaching thirty years ago and haven't changed much in thirty years. And that's a worry. That's a huge worry. You know, the sport's changed a lot. Why are we still teaching you know something that's that old mm. i think being up to date and with your finger on the pulse of the sport and especially the equipment is is pretty damn important mm. what, yeah. what what you kind of talked about it there a little bit but what makes a good instructor you know what who what kind of personality what kind of person is is built for it i think uh if we all reflect on how schooling and think about the teachers that were the good teachers, I think there's a common theme and that is that they care. I know that sounds, that sounds very simple, but um, an instructor that cares both for the safety and for the, the understanding of a student is going to a develop good relationship with that student and then be that student's more likely to respond to instruction and, and those sorts of things. And, the whole learning process is going to be better. Um, so an instructor that cares, so that's not driven by financial means and is not burnt out. And and I think that's that's an important thing. I don't think one can be an instructor for 40 years without getting to somewhere in there and going, oh, I've just had enough of this. Mm. And, you know, it's just another Groundhog Day of the same over and over again. So... Yeah, I think having different different elements within the instruction. You know, so you're doing some tandems, you're doing some coaching, you're doing some you know training of new students. Doing a lot is quite important because you've you know you're keeping yourself fresh and and you, you're thinking about it. Doing the same thing over and over and over and over again is you, one you're going to get complacent, and two you you're not everyone has a lack of compassion, but you know a lot, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, then you've done it 55 times, the student's done it once, they're going to pick up that this person's really not into this yeah. and, and that's going to translate as not good instruction coming across because it's, you know, it doesn't seem personal and doesn't, you know, the, the, the individual feels like they're not cared for. And, mm. and yeah, I hope that answers your question a little bit. Yeah, Totally. In all these years of instructing, 11 I think now, um, you get all these beginners through and you said, you know, well, this is something I've grappled with a lot when I think about new people getting in. You know, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know at 500 hours. You don't know at 1,000. There's still, there's all these stages we go through where I'm constantly going, good God, I'm stupid. I can't believe I didn't know that. You know, I'm constantly learning. Uh, and, but what should specifically beginners avoid? 
what are, what are some of the things that if you could just pack up all that knowledge you've got in your head all these years and put it in somebody, I realize that's too many things, but if there's, there's a couple of just big ones that you see beginners make that they should just steer clear from. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess, um, going at it alone is by far the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that from experience, I, I went in it alone to start with and that was just so the wrong way to go about it. It really was. Um, so not, not going at it alone, using the collective knowledge of the community to, to aid you in your progression. Um, this is where it gets tricky. This is where it gets tricky though, because, you know, you can say, go and talk to an experienced pilot, but a lot of, a lot of pilots want to just explain things for the sake of explaining things. So what I'd say is do your research, go and find the pilots that actually are experienced and will give you good advice for your level and then go and talk to them opposed to just go and talk to someone that has a qualification that looks like it's fancy. Um, but how would a beginner know yeah, who that we, person yeah, well, is? Here yeah. within lies the issue, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 a really hard question. And, mm. and I do see that. I'm a little critical when I see someone who I don't think is uh, like a, in Australia we have safety officers who do exactly that. Um, when when a club signs someone as a safety officer, and I think, whoa, that person is a safety officer. That's that's bad news because you know being a good pilot, and I use my inverted commas to my fingers there. Being a good pilot doesn't necessarily mean means you fly well, great, but it doesn't necessarily mean you understand conditions and the emotions that a new pilot's going through. So understand conditions for a new pilot. Mm. So seen, I've seen a lot of good pilots say, oh, you'll be totally fine. It's great conditions. It's great conditions for them, but it's not for a new pilot. So it's, mm. yeah, it, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer because, you know, how, how do, does a new pilot find that correct person? And they're really hard. Um, and, and, and with a lot of good intentions from more experienced pilots, sometimes those good intentions go wayward because just haven't thought about it for for someone who's at that point in their flying career you know they've just finished their course that course they're not going to deal with strong ass thermals in the middle of the day but you know it's yeah i don't think i've quite answered your question there but it's it is it's a tough one it's a really hard mm. one and i think this is this is probably the if if a nation has a certain way of dealing with this then i'd really like to find that out because you know the 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 recipe in a lot of the world I feel is people get their license and then the first 50 100 hours they're blundering around the dark trying to figure things out and trying to figure out who to listen to and and getting confl- conflicting bits of information from two experienced pilots and then trying to figure that out and and so yeah to you know the the, the result is they either leave the sport because they don't know what's going on or they have a scare or an accident mm. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Um, the, the, uh, it was actually in Macedonia. We had dinner one night with, uh, the Swedes and there was a whole bunch of them there because it was the Nordic cup, of course. And yep. they were telling me that their method is it's really club based. So if you come up through the club and you get to a certain level and you get pretty good, then the club basically pays you to go on a trip to Annecy, you know, or somewhere that's pretty close, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a flying vacation for a week. And you're kind of the de facto instructor, you know, so you get to go, you're getting this free trip. So you're vested in kind of working because uh, you're getting this great trip to Annecy, but you're, you're there to mentor, not necessarily instruct. Those are, they're kind of different. Um, the students, the new people in the club. And so it's this rolling thing that you roll through and you, and it's expected of you. If you come up through the club, then you're expected to, because it is different. Like like you said, you know, there's a point where, okay, I can't be your instructor anymore. You're not paying me anymore. And I have Mm. to instruct, you know, but we need mentors, don't we? And one of the questions I get all the time is, well, how do you find mentors? You know, if you're not kind of an extrovert and out there, yeah. you know, in the community and, and making it happen, 
it can be hard to get. How do you find them? Yeah, yeah. I think that that sounds like that sounds like a uh, it's it's a cultural thing within their organisation. It's expected from when you start that you are going to once you've got to a certain level, you will mentor other pilots. And I think that's as long as that culture is instilled and, and it'll take many years. Let's say if Australia adopted that, it would take a number of years to get that. Wally Will Gad talks about you know the the flow process and both. The, yeah, you know, Adele Hanti's, you know, chick sent me high's flow and also flow sports. So kayaking and mountain bike riding and, you know, any kind of thing where there's, you know, not climbing, you know, flow sport. So paragliding is very much a flow sport. Are there, imagine you being in the mountains there in, um, in bright, you partake in other things other than flying. Do you have any other sports that you feel like have really contributed to your learning this sport and because will always talks about you know when he has friends that come from climbing because he's such a climber that that get into it he's always quite a bit more worried about them as opposed to a kayaker or a surfer you know because they're they they deal with energy in different ways yeah yeah sure i guess you're talking about the literally the uh you're working with an environment yeah, so, gravity you know, in, in a way yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know and, and just you know whereas climbing's just just you know moves and technical and strength yeah. and ours is really using the energy of the universe to power mm-hmm. us along you know? yeah yep yeah. it um so yeah i do i do get into lots of different things actually in the in the mountains um it's a beautiful thing about bright in this area is it's a, quite a playground um Things like mountain biking, and I've got a good buddy who used to race mountain bikes quite seriously and, and flies paragliders at a very high level as well. And he has said that too that you know, when he goes out on the trails uh, for a mountain bike ride, he's actually doing a bit of flow training in that you know, he tries to make everything as smooth as possible. And, and he relates that to especially gliding, the gliding part of our game. You know, thermaling is a little bit different because we're adjusting as we go. Um, but the the gliding and the getting the flow and staying on the uh, the lifty line, so he he when he goes for a ride, he feels it's a it's a training exercise for feeling that flow and going along. Remember, um, Mad Syndergaard saying as well that mm. we we as pilots we do our best flying when we're not thinking about it too much. And I know when when people are brand new, they're it's probably part of the reason they can only fly for a couple of hours at a time is because they are rationally thinking about absolutely everything. Mm. And after some time, when you don't need to think about, you know, your, your pitching of your wing, you just you just do it automatically, and it's you know that comes autonomous in your mind. And all of a sudden, you're not thinking about all the minor things. You're just you're you know using your subconscious, your brain's just functioning, and you're going exactly going with the flow. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the reason Felipe called his his company Flow Gliders <laughs> because yeah. exactly that that beautiful feeling you get when when you feel like you're in timing with with the natural environment, be it you know a water water down a river or or you know, the clouds in the sky. Um, yeah, it's it's not something that comes quickly, and I think that comes once you have a, a good body of skills and knowledge. And especially flying your aircraft as well, so the skills part, and and then yeah, you turn your mind off a little bit and just do the subconscious thing, and, and yeah, sure, you know sometimes you do need to bring yourself into the present and you know, be rational about what's going on, but yeah, that's probably easier said than done, um, and we we as humans probably consciously put ourselves in the conscious arena because that's what we feel we're in control of um but i do i do think that's wise advice from will to you know to to learn learn to flow with what what you're feeling and going along around you mm. do you um not to take us to a dark place at all but you know you you as all of us have if we've been in the sport for a long time you, you mentioned um you know alex and and your gal and you know some some bad accidents that you've witnessed seen and uh, been a part of 
how do you approach risk at this point in your career? How, how do you, how do you grapple with, you know, that never ending gravity? Mm. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's, it's tough because it is still a risk sport. Um, anyone that says that it's not a risk sport is not being truthful. Um, yeah, it's over, I guess, I guess now I, I have taken a big step back from the edge of risk. I didn't ever think I was standing right on the, on the edge of the, the precipice there, but, um, I know now that I don't need to take a big risk in order to fly big lines or do flights that I'm really quite proud of. I don't feel like I need to take those risks. I, I feel like you've got to wait for the conditions to do it so you can't force it. Um, and I guess that's probably it. You're not forcing it. You're not, uh, you're not just sort of, no, I'm going to do this flight because today is my only day off, so I'm going to do it. No, you're just like, mm. well, mm, no, nah, it's not going to happen today. Clouds aren't high enough. Wind's in the wrong direction. Too too gusty, whatever. Not going to do it today. So you know, stepping back from the edge, I don't think that's easy when people are new because you know they're keen they're really eager they they've got almost something to prove of like i want to feel like i'm good at this sport therefore i need to you know get in the air yeah. as much as possible and i'm going to take this risk and and it's a terrible thing but you fly for long enough you do see incidents and accidents and i it's and it's a terrible thing because it saddens everyone even if it's even if it's just a you know a bad landing and a sprained ankle and that's that's a great outcome on it i mean in the nicest way possible you know mm. you never want to see people get hurt and sometimes that's really especially you know going back to instruction and mentoring that's really hard to yeah. portray to somebody who's new that you no know, just just chill out like you don't need to be flying in these conditions it's beyond your pay grade and and you know, there's there's going to be another day that is flyable in the future. I'll guarantee you that the mountains mm. will still be here. Just just relax, and and I think everyone does come to that conclusion eventually. But um, no one wants to see incidents and accidents, and, and unfortunately, it does happen. And and especially when you think that was totally unavoidable. That's mm. that's really disheartening, and, and you know, it hurts my soul to see people do silly silly stuff purely on a, oh, I need to prove myself or I need to, you know, fly in these conditions because this is my only day off this week and those sorts of things. And yeah, that's, yeah. Trying to, trying to make, what is Will? He has a saying for this, trying to make the day fit your, fit your, your desires. Your desires. Yeah. Instead mm. of the other way around. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, if it's not what you think it is, just go swimming. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, something safer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're gonna be fine if you just yeah. go swimming. Uh, well, let's end this on some kind of fun ones here. Best and worst wing you've ever. Best seen. and worst wing. Um, best wing. Look, um, I'm flying the X1 at the moment, and it is beautiful. Um, yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah, it is a beautiful wing. Um, I've been flying i've only ever flown well as my own gliders gin and nibio really um mm. uh i flew the the boom for a couple of years there and and although i did like it as soon as i went went from the boom to the leopard then to the x1 the x1 was just like oh this is such good performance but without the workload so that that was mm. really nice i guess yeah. the wing that as i was going through my progression that that i absolutely fell in love with was the arctic 2 um mm. That was the Arctic too. Yeah, strung a chord with me at the time. I loved it. I've still got it in the shed there. I just can't, oh, <laughs> can't get rid of it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, worst wing? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Look, I'd, I'd, I'd say the worst wing is not something that I've flown a lot, but it's um, probably. I don't know if I want. I don't know if you want to. You want to publish this, Gav? Um, I, right. I really, I really we don't dislike. Have any sponsors. Uh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, good. I really dislike Nova wings. Um, ah. Yeah, and I, and I, and and not that they're bad wings. I just find them very lifeless. I find them very boring. Mm. Um, 
um, just, you know, I like a glider that has a bit of pitch and roll and tells me something. And mm-hmm. I find Nova wings, as I said, I, not that I've flown them in great quantities. Every time I fly on them, it's like, that's pretty boring. So mm-hmm. um, they, in saying that, I'm sure there is a market for people that just want a really quite boring wing. So you know, it's it's right. a subjective answer. So, yeah, you know. I'm not, sure. not well, poo-pooing Nova. It just doesn't work for me. So Sure. Yeah, it's a subjective question, actually. I mean, so, yes. You know, one, one person's porridge is another person. You know, we, we all love and hate different things. things I mean, there's, yeah. been, there's been some Nivik wings along the way that, you know, that other people couldn't stand. Yeah, I didn't loved, like. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. yeah it's, really interesting. it's funny, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's super funny. What's your favorite piece of equipment? This could be anything. It could be your goggles, but uh, I mean, could it be something you don't even fly with? I guess, but yeah. what's your favorite, you know, the thing that you just, oh, this makes my flying so much better. I think I've got to just say a Flymaster. Ah, really? Yeah. See, there yeah, you go. Just, I don't, I hate the Flymaster. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Flymaster. We, have, we, have, we have to use them for the, uh, for the X-Alps and they do oh, yeah. a good job with live tracking and stuff. But yeah, I don't, I've, I've never liked that device. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, I like it because it's reliable. Like I've mm. had my Flymaster for 10 years. I had one of the, the, the navs, the first navs that came came out yep. after the after the B one versions, and it's my go to. I know the sound, I know how it works. It's reliable as anything. Had it mm. for twelve years, still works. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my Flytech sixty thirty. I just can't give it oh, up. That's I, old just ancient. I know. I love it. I still. I still love it. But it's and everybody that uses Flymaster loves them. It's just it's never never worked for me. Yeah. I think I think it's a great device. It's a great mm. instrument. The, the 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 other thing I've been reading recently on forums is uh, the XC Tracer, and yeah. people love the XV Tracer. To yeah, me, the awesome. XC Tracer. No, I'm the opposite. I, really? I I cannot get in sync with its. I've actually. I'm I'm, I'm about happy with it now and i've dampened it on a scale of zero to ten i've dampened it to eight to make it how I want it. <laughs> yeah i know really yeah, that's a that? lot of dampening <laughs> yeah so i know, should send you my tone settings thing. i i you know yeah, I, I, you've probably heard about this but it's i send my tone settings every and i did they weren't mine it was another and i don't remember who it was it was a world cup pilot because i was having the same trouble when i took it out of the box i just thought whoa Mm. what are you doing to me? And I couldn't <laughs> core for the light. I just couldn't find yeah. a core. I was so used to a more averager, you know, and uh, yeah. I, I couldn't yeah, make yeah. it work. And, um, you know, there are people like I had Alex Roby on the show and he uses both. He'll use, you know, a Flymaster and the XC Tracer without it dampened. And he can kind of tune his ear, to, I guess, to both. But to both I, I just, I mean, that doesn't sound mm. that simple to me. I like things simple. Yeah. So, but this, uh, yeah, I have tone settings for the XC Tracer that I've given out to, at this point, hundreds of people. And it's really nice. It, 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 they were actually built to kind of match. It's actually built to match the flight, the flight tech 6030, but that's the same as the Flymaster. Yeah. Okay. So very yeah. I'd, I'd be very interested in that. But it's not that. that much dampening. I have, I have mine yeah. at two and a half. But it's yeah, uh, okay. but I think it's more of that in combination with the other tone settings. I think they'll yeah, find it pretty I think good. It, it, it's a whole package. They need, it needs to go together. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm more than happy to, to try it and test it. That's yeah. that's good. I'll send them to you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Well, it's great to uh, great to converse with you and have a chat. It's been too long. I hope it's not mm. going to be that much longer. I've got a couple clients down there in Oz and they're talking about, I don't think we're ever going to get out of here till 2023. I hope it yeah. lightens up for you guys and you get to travel. I hope we all yeah, get, get to travel again it's, and start racing. It's a very closed again. door down here at the moment. And yeah, yeah it's been really I know, I know the, the cats that usually go racing overseas every year, every couple of years, we are itching. We are seriously itching. I am um, sure you are. Mm, what do you do? Yeah. Has your, has your local comp scene been pretty good? Has that been okay or has that been kind yeah. of hitting us um, too? Yeah, it, oh, look, again, so uh, yes and no. So um, last year we had to downgrade one from a nationals to a, essentially a state level um, and that lost a few people because of that. But mm. um, in the trend over the last three to four years is is people want to race and, and people want to get out there and do that and, um, yeah, which which is good for you know. I feel like a lot of people in Australia have an anti competition sentiment. So, um, but you know, in in recent years, I think that's being adorned a bit, and people want to get out there and and try something different and go racing. And, and there's a lot of new pilots coming onto our racing scene, which is good. Yeah. Um, 
Right. We don't want to look like Dad's army. Um, <laughs> a lot of old blokes kicking around. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know Dad's army, don't you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're not my words, Gab. They're not my words. <laughs> well, I, um, I'm uh, yeah, psyched to race with you again at some point here. I'm sure it'll happen. And uh, yeah, let's and happy so. to happy to follow the squad down there and, and learn from you guys and thanks for sharing all this man i appreciate it no this worries. Was a lot Pleasure, of thanks for having me on i feel um i feel blessed i feel like uh <laughs> there's a lot of big names that i've been listening to a lot of podcasts over a long time and i feel very humbled that hey gav asked me to be on it <laughs> it's uh, quite nice yeah, so yeah good, thanks mate good excuse to reach out and you've got a really keen community down there and we've got a ton of listeners yeah. in australia and so I yeah i've heard that really yeah they will be really psyched to hear your voice well thanks buddy i appreciate it no worries Bob. no worries see ya if you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable you can support it in a lot of different ways you can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you Bye.